Welcome to How Travel Writers Self-Publish. This podcast brings you the most up-to-date and relevant advice, tips, and strategies to get your travel book written, self-published, and marketed to a global audience. And here's your host, travel writer and digital nomad, Jay Artali. Hello, today we're joined by Gillian Kolf, who's an author, coach, writer, and an editor. And we had such a positive feedback about our travel writing show. So I wanted to bring in some expert advice from somebody who's used to working with authors of uh, travel memoirs and nonfiction to get an idea of how to get your draft completed. So welcome, Gillian. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So could you just give us a bit of background? How did you get into author coaching? Well, uh, I used to be a high school teacher, actually. I, I taught high school English and creative writing for 10 years. And uh, at that time, I worked with a lot of students on writing papers and, and helping them to improve their writing. So that little nugget, that part of it, helping people improve their writing was a skill I developed over that 10 year period that I ended up being able to take with me. And so what happened was, uh, in 2014, I retired from full-time teaching to go full force with my business. At that time I was developing creative writing classes for adults I had always enjoyed working one-on-one with my students on their paper writing, their essays. And I thought, wow, you know, I could really coach people to write full-length memoirs. And then it also occurred to me that I had the the knowledge to apply those same skills to helping people with nonfiction books as well. And so that's where I started moving forward on developing that as a part of what I offer. And then over time, as I worked with different clients, my range of, of options that I offer people grew and So now I have a way of working with people that's more uh, refined and complete. So is it usual that writing coaches will target a specific niche? Um, That's a good question. You know, I just personally feel that in business in, in general, I think it helps to have your little niche that is what you specialize in so that you can just get really good at it, you know? So yeah, I think that makes sense because writers, the big thing about whether you're writing on a blog or a book or doing articles, you need to have your niche that you write in. So if you're writing a memoir, you want somebody that's had experience with memoirs, just from a, like a comfort level that you know that they understand the genre that you're writing in. I love travel memoirs and so many memoirs that I've read are missing any kind of story arc or any kind of purpose for the book. It's just, here's a chronological order of the adventure that we went on. I think that's a good point, Jay, is that if you're reading someone's travel blog and you're keeping up with installments as they're being posted, um, you're enjoying following that person and their adventures and your approach when you're when you're reading a blog is you're not really wanting to sit down and immerse yourself in a good story at your own pace you're going at their pace you're you're following the pace of as they're posting each installment but when you're reading a book there there does as you say need to be a story being told and one of the things i've noticed is that People don't always realize which details are only interesting to them. 
And so they will often include every little thing chronologically that happened. And maybe a lot of those chronological details, not only is the chronological approach not always an interesting approach, and if you start paying attention when you read memoir, you'll notice that a lot of memoir writers who are good use things like flashback and kind of jumping back and forth in time very effectively. But also... People don't want to read every single detail. It's like when you're watching a movie, they don't show you every minute that transpires in a person's life. They have to condense it into two hours, so they don't show you all the boring stuff. And it's the same thing in writing. You just, you don't, people don't want to read every little detail because that can be boring. And so one of the things I do as a coach is try to help people have a perspective. I tried to guide them towards, you know, which are the details that are would be really fascinating for people to know about and maybe even develop those details more than they did in their blog that they're converting, you know, and say, say more about this. That's one of my things is like, I'd like to know more about this point. Can you develop this a little more? Can you give me a little more detail here? Can you paint the picture more? Take your time with it more? Because when people are trying to be inclusive of everything that happened to them in their travels, they often then fail to adequately develop stories that are really interesting in the interest of including every little detail of this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, which actually is not terribly interesting to read. So is it acceptable in a memoir to fake a few things for the sake of the story because you've got this big gap that was really uninteresting so now you've got to create a transition from one part of the memoir story to another well okay so first of all this whole question of authenticity in memoir is a huge 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 one and there have been some major blow-ups when uh, memoirists have been found to have just flat out made up entire interactions with people, et cetera. And so, yeah, this is a hot topic. And I think this may be one of several reasons why it's not so great necessarily to structure your memoir with dates, you know, this whole, like putting the date. And then, I mean, if it's a diary, that's one thing, but if you're really just trying to tell the story going date by date doesn't really work if you are going to have those big gaps. My feeling is there are different ways of handling it. Like you could have um, a little disclaimer at the start where you say that the order of your travels may have been restructured slightly for the sake of a more interesting story narrative arc. Or you could say that in the interest of the privacy of some of the people that you talk about in your memoir, that not only have you changed their names, but perhaps you have even condensed people. (laughs) Like some people have have condensed two or three characters into one person. And this, this kind of stuff is, is totally fine when you're doing fiction, like that's based on a true yeah. story is, you know, you condense people and you put two or three characters and make them one. I'm not as huge a fan of that in my memoir, although I do feel like you have a lot of range to be selective in a memoir about um, what details you leave in and which ones you leave out. And I don't feel that leaving out details is 
inauthentic as long as you're not misleading people about something significant. I think it's best to be as authentic as you can. And you can always tell your reader some things have been compressed, you know, for the sake of the narrative or some things have been omitted for the sake of the narrative. I think I think people expect that actually. I think they really do. They don't expect to know yeah. every detail. And they do sometimes, you know, they do understand when things are told in a different order. And and sometimes they don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. They're more interested in the stories of what happened to you than what order they happened in. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you decide whether an author is going to be a good fit and whether you're going to work well together? So do you have a kind of a methodology or approach? Yes, I do. Um, I think that's a very important consideration because I do not take on everyone who approaches me. So the first thing I do is I ask the person to go to my website and to watch the three short introductory videos on my homepage where I talk about how I work. Not only does it tell what I do, but it also shows a prospective client my personality and my kind of my style of communication. And if they go online and they watch my video and they like the person that they're seeing in this video, they feel this person is engaging, they like the way she communicates, they think, okay, I could work with her. Then we're already off to a good start, right? Because that's, that's part of the battle right there is that you if you're my prospective client, you need to know you're going to feel comfortable with me and my personality and the way I work. If you go up and you read my video, watch my videos and I'm annoying to you or my voice grates on you or something, then, you know, automatically we're not going to be a good match. And then the next thing I do is um, once you've reached out to me, I do a 30 minute uh, video chat for us to connect and ask questions, et cetera, mostly for the prospective client to ask me questions. Before that, chat happens, I send a questionnaire. And the questionnaire is, you know, basically asking about how you work, what your writing schedule is, if you have one, what your experience is having your writing read by others and edited, how you feel about taking feedback on your writing, and also describing the particular project you want help with and what kind of help you think you want. What that does is it makes it so I already then have a good idea of why this person is coming to me and whether what they're looking for is something I can provide. And then that will make the 30 minutes, which I charge a nominal fee for, as useful as possible to them because now they don't have to discuss all that stuff. They can really get down to the nitty gritty of their questions for me. Part of the question questionnaire involves sending me a writing sample. And the writing sample often tells me everything I need to know. And what I look for in a writing sample is either someone who's already an assured writer or good writer, or someone who may be a novice, but who has good instincts. So when someone is a novice, what I look for in both the writing sample and the interview or the Skype session is, does this person seem teachable? Will they take feedback well? Do they have good instincts? Because some people don't have experience writing, but if they have good instincts, then you know we can work together. And I've had some really satisfying partnerships with people who were very inexperienced writers who ended up with really good books because they were coachable and they had good instincts. So you mentioned there that authors will give you an idea of what they're looking for. How is that in sync with what they actually need? Sometimes people need more than they think. Yeah, it's it's not uncommon for someone to think they just want you to edit them and then they send you something and you can see that it's going to take 
a lot more work than they realize. And, and also sometimes people say, well, you know, I can only, I, I'm, I'm on, um, social security or, you know, I'm, I'm on a pension. I, I don't have a lot of money. I can pay you for, I can afford one hour per month. And if the person's a good writer or their manuscript doesn't need a tremendous amount of work, I can literally work with one hour a month. But when they have a manuscript that needs tremendous work, I have to say to them, you know, what you need and what the time frame you're able to do provides, they're not compatible. It's not realistic. It's not going to work. So I do think sometimes people don't realize just how much work it is to write a book, especially if they have something like a blog or an email newsletter and they think, oh, look, I have 50 installments installments of a year's worth of stuff. And I can make this into a book with a little bit of editing. And then they get into the nitty gritty and they're like, wow, this actually needs a lot more work than I thought. Yeah. I think sometimes people's expectations are a little unrealistic, but almost always it's in that direction of not realizing how much work it is. Yeah. Cause I know when I'm writing my nonfiction books, you know, I struggle with choosing the right language or the words or the tone, but as far as structuring my books and I write lots and non-fiction books. I've got the structure down. I've got the flow. When I was in my corporate job, I'd take complex ideas and simplify them for my audience. But when people come to you, do they, can they differentiate the different elements of their content, of the language, of the structure, of the tone? Do they understand that as a general rule? Yeah, inevitably, there's education that's required. And again, it all depends on the experience level of the author who's coming to me. But I think that by and large, people who want full-on coaching are people who don't necessarily know these things. They, they might not have learned these things. These are the kinds of things I would have taught in my creative writing classes. And if they haven't taken creative writing classes, if they haven't done writing workshops, if they haven't done any of that, then they wouldn't know. And that's actually a question on my questionnaire. I ask if if the person has done any writing workshops. I think that helps me to have a realistic understanding of where they're coming from. But you know, the thing is in the coaching, I enjoy the teaching. I like to empower people. And so not just fixing things for them, but explaining why something isn't working and how they can make it better. But then what I really love to do is then put the ball back into their court and let them do something with it and come back to me and teaching them skills to be better writers. And and that's my goal is to meet people where they are at whatever level they're at and then take them farther along so that they not only have a book that they're proud of and they're excited to publish, but that they also are a better writer now. So if they write another book, they're going to have more skills. They're going to be ready to write this. They're going to be way more ready to write the second book than the first because they'll have a whole toolkit that they didn't have before. You mentioned creative writing classes just then. Can you give us a definition of what you mean by creative writing? Okay, so uh, a creative writing class is one in which you have a group of writers and they might be working on different things. So some might be working on nonfiction, some might be working on fiction, some might be working on narrative or memoir. You offer a prompt and people will write to the prompt. And sometimes the prompt is open enough that they can write to it while developing work for something they're working on, like a book. 
And then, you know, people will share aloud perhaps what they've written and people will offer feedback on what works. Some writing workshops, you also offer critique. So I think if people have done these sorts of workshops before, then they're coming in with more more skills and more knowledge ostensibly. Mm-hmm. There needs to be this overlap between creative writing and nonfiction, but writing nonfiction in a creative way. Yeah, I think that within the world of travel and travel writing, I think creative nonfiction to me would would evoke either narratives, travel narratives, or travel memoir, that those would both fall under that category of creative nonfiction. Also, we all know that you can deliver nonfiction information. You know, you can write an informational book, a how-to book, and it can be dry as a bone and excruciating to get through and seem like a technical manual, or it can be engaging and it can draw you in and it can almost read, it could read with the same kind of pleasure and engagement and rapid movement through it as a novel, because the writer is creative in the way they use language or the way they structure the book to use certain kinds of techniques to pull the reader in and make the delivery of the information more interesting. So I think part of it depends upon what, for sure, what you're, you're trying to uh, cover in your nonfiction book. If you wanted to write a book on the history of a country, a history can be dry and boring, or it can be fascinating. It can be an adventure to read, right? So that, to me, also is creative nonfiction. Yeah. I'm writing a travel guide for Cambodia, and there's so many travel guides out there. So I wanted to create something different. And that's where I've been researching creative nonfiction and narratives. And I'm sure I covered this in school, but I can't remember any of it. Right. And in school, a lot of times, the things you're you're being taught are things that make a good piece of academic writing, like, you know, a good essay. Whereas some of those things are applicable to travel writing, but some might not be, you know, it's a genre that has its own demands. Like a travel guide that can evoke a locale in the paragraph where it's introducing or the pages where it's introducing the locale before it gets into all of the specifics of lodging and currency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If that description of the place is really engaging so that you can't wait to get there, it can really, I think, lend something to your travels because you have someone who's getting you excited to see and do certain things as opposed to just sort of listing what they are. And I think in some travel guides, obviously, if you're talking about print travel guides anyway, space is such an issue. They can't always take that much time. Like they want to list more things to do. So there might not be as much room for creativity in the delivery of the content, you know? Yes, because I do um, ebook formatting and I've come across quite a few travel writers that are good writers and they've got good information, but from a structural perspective, it's all over the place and I I get lost just trying to format it. Right, absolutely. I'm running out of time for this topic, so I want to pick up where we left off. Will you be able to come back for another show, Gillian? I would be so happy to do that, Jay. That would be awesome. Fabulous. Well, then we'll speak again soon. 
Today's guest was editor and writing coach Gillian Kolf, and you can connect with Gillian via her website, which is www.gilliankolf.com, and that's Gillian with a G, and Kolf is C-U-L-F-F. You've been listening to the How Travel Writers Self-Published Podcast, hosted by digital nomad and travel writer Jay Artali. Visit us at www.birdsofafeatherpress.com.